Yo, 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 and welcome to the Good Times of Killing Us podcast, social distancing edition. It's your boy, David. I'm joined by K-Town. K-Town, the Corona King. <laughs> and, and Marquis. Yo, 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 it's the Social Distance Diaries. We're back. Oh, yeah, yeah. We are still in the middle of social distancing, but we decided, you know what? We're going to keep it fucking moving, y'all. We thought we were just going to do a bunch of oops. We thought about it, and we were like, you know what? You know what? This shit ain't going to stop. We're going to keep on doing it. The train keep going. We don't We don't just stop just because of a global pandemic that we made fun of a couple months ago. We keep it going. Yes. Please don't stop the music. Music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guys. So we are going to keep on doing it. So we're coming at you with a brand new episode on Shia LaBeouf. But first of all, we got a couple things we got to tell y'all real quick. We'll make sure you follow us on Facebook at the Good Times Are Killing Us podcast. You can follow us on the Instagram at Good Times Killing Us podcast podcast no spaces just pretty much just memes up there and at the twitter at good <laughs> underscore times underscore dead and make oh, sure, yeah make sure you uh you like and uh rate and review us on apple itunes give us that five star rating and leave a review and we'll read it right here on the podcast Absolutely. So actually, we have a new review. Um, and with this being said, I would like to also say that you can review us on Facebook if you'd like. Although it would definitely be very beneficial if you left us one five-star review on Apple Podcasts. But we do have another uh, review from Headhunter69. So this is the third review that Headhunter Ooh, has sent us. King Headhunter69, he back. <laughs> yeah, and we're and this is actually interesting because we're getting a little bit of lore about this headhunter sixty nine. We don't know much about him besides his name, which of course we won't say on the air. Uh, but we know that he's headhunter sixty nine. He's left us two reviews. His first review was about the podcast in general. His second well, no, review, third. Well, I'm saying his first one was about the podcast in general. The second one was about the Scientology episode, and this is about the ASMR episode and our most recent episode, uh, Social Distance Daddies, which was a big oof where we just talked about our lives. So this is uh, like a so this is like a double feature review from uh, our boy, right? Mm-hmm. He's hitting yeah. he's hitting a twofer. It's two reviews plus a little bit of background. So Mark read the first one, Katie read the second one. So I'm going to go ahead and read the third one. So this one is from Headhunter69. Well, here I am coming back for review number three. Just like before, they read my review on the air. First, for the record, Headhunter69 is the very first email address I ever made up. Headhunter is what I do for a living, and 69 is the year I was born. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. Hold on. What you do for a living, bro? <laughs> okay, so that's true. Before we meet the fact that he was born in 1969, this dude is a headhunter. I so some... what the fuck is a headhunter? I... Think... So that can mean one of two things. He's either a bounty hunter, and he's hunting down, like, bailiffs and shit. Or two, he's or from the Inferno. And he's he's a cannibal, <laughs> <laughs> or he's the guy that like a, a major company hires to find like applicants. So okay. like a hospital would hire a headhunter to find doctors to come work at their hospital. Still a heavy thing to just tell people casually that you do without. I, I mean, I guess we'll find out more. I'm sure there'll be a fourth review. Yeah, we're we'll find need, out even more. We're gonna need more explanation, Mister Sixty Nine. Yes. So his, his uh, <laughs> so his email the Lord continues. So his email is headhunter sixty nine, and apparently that's because sixty nine is the year he was born in. And continuing his review, there's nothing weird, sexual, or noise about it, guys. Well, noise. well, sorry. 
<laughs> I was an idiot, though, not thinking when I made it the email 69 and Headhunter would be interpreted or construed. Yeah, man, I thought you were just being hella noise. <laughs> yeah. I, I still think it's red. <laughs> My boy's hunting down that head. It still works. <laughs> he said, also, I have fat fingers. Grammar aside, now for the review. This is for two episodes, social distancing episode and the weird sound masturbation episode on ASMR. Five stars for the social distance episode. Great information. I love that they shamed all those idiots on spring break. I'm kind of bummed out that they think that Trump is going to win, but as usual, a great episode, even with some farting. I got to check out Animal Crossing and get a switch. Yeah, I, guess, I mean, I'm bummed out too. We don't want tr- we don't want Trump to win. Like that's not what we want. Yeah. No, we we're not. Yeah, don't go out to your homies telling them that uh, the good, good time. times boys endorse Donald Trump 2020. Oh, yeah, you know them good times boys are just a bunch of Trump heads, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think he's going to win, but I really don't want the motherfucker to. Yeah, yeah. So continuing, he says, five stars on the sound masturbation ASMR episode, but just like the Juggalo lunchroom story, I really didn't know about. I really did not need to know about this. <laughs> uh, How do you think we feel, brother? We're doing the dirty, <laughs> we're doing the dirty work for you. <laughs> Honestly, we do so. We've found out about so many dark things. We should have PTSD from now or by now. Like y'all are getting the light end of this. I already but, have it from my childhood, so I don't think you can do double PTSD. <laughs> double negative. Yeah, that's a Dude, double jeopardy. <laughs> maybe it'll cancel it out. Who knows? Uh, continuing. They did give me enough info, though, to never look up any of these videos, especially the lobster eating ones. Anything mukbang related? Dude, we're doing a mukbang. Yeah, yeah. You gotta watch our mukbang. Headhunter, I really want you to watch my mukbang, bro. Seriously. <laughs> seriously. Get on our live. You've actually never been on our live, Headhunter. So, like, get on mm. our next live, which will be the mukbang, probably. And, Hopefully. You know, and we can really yeah. we can really sort out all this all this uh, Headhunter business. <laughs> yeah, then we can do I, it. I cannot fucking wait for this mukbang, dude. This corona shit has ruined our fucking all, – all, the whole master plan. It almost ruined the like, podcast. It, yeah, we, I mean, luckily we're str- we're we're dragging on by, but we're pushing through. We're pushing. Yeah, we're pushing, pushing through. through. So wrapping up this review, he said, "I think Bob Ross is cringing in his graves for his mention of association with this episode." <laughs> I um, agree with that. The ASMR episode. Fair also, enough. pain. I think pain. That's me. I think has a weird relationship with Gam Gam. First of all, head under sixty nine. My Gam Gam is dead. So <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what you're getting at there. Um, uh, overall, these guys are a great listen, funny and real. Just a great podcast. I'm listening to an old NK episode. Uh, what? Oh, North Korea North episode. Korea. More reviews to come. Oh, there we go. Stay safe. Wash your hands and enjoy life. Thank you so much, Headhunter sixty nine. Thank you, real one, man. We appreciate you, Headhunter. All jokes aside, we literally appreciate you, and thank you for listening and commenting, because, like, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes it kind of feels weird when we're doing the podcast, because we're just, like, we're just doing this and just putting it out there, and sometimes you just feel like you're just putting it out to the ether. And, I mean, I know we have analytics. I know people are listening. But without, like, general feedback, it's it's, sometimes you feel like you're talking to the darkness. So... It's kind of cool, yeah. you know, getting feedback from you guys. So that's why we encourage you to leave us ratings and reviews and stuff. But anyway, now that we're done with the yeah, housekeeping. 
Yeah, I, I did want to say the cool thing about us being a smaller podcast is, you know, if you reach out to us, especially at this point in the game, and I mean, you know, we don't really, I don't foresee us getting huge or anything like that, but if you can, if you interact with us, we're going to talk about you, we're going to talk to you, we're going to make you part of this community. So thank you so much, uh, Head Under 69, and everybody else who has reviewed us, rated us, or just listens in general. Thank you so much. Um, but we are ready to move on. Are, uh, are we? Yeah, let's do it, man. Let's get right into it. Y'all ready? Yep, so today we are talking about Shia LaBeouf. So quickly, let's go over a quick bio. Shia LaBeouf was born on June 11th, 1986. Um, his father was part of the Mongol uh, Bicycle Gang. gang and he was gang. also and he was also a Mongol MC. Yeah. So his dad was a Mongol and a rodeo clown. Just break that up for a second. Like, what the <laughs> fuck? That's so, fucking crazy. Mongols, like, if, if the listeners don't know... Mongols are up there with like the Hell's Angels. Like they're they're a really big like MC. They're a legit gang. Tough guys. Mm-hmm. These aren't like some fucking dudes. These are hardcore killers. These ain't so some fucking think- dudes, y'all. Well, he didn't know dudes, bro. What I think is weird about it is like he was a Mongol and a rodeo clown, so he was at the same time being this hard ass dude whipping people with like chains and shit. Well, the next day, just being a clown. Do you think the Mongols are like, hell yeah, man? That's just that's just how we do. We're living outside. We're living on the outskirts of society. That's how we roll. They're like, that's just yeah. You gotta pay for meth somehow. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) So, so a young Shia. Spent a great deal of his early life watching his father work, and eventually he would work alongside him. They had all kinds of things going on when he was young. Like, uh, they did, like, a hot dog uh, stand thing that him and his uh, mom and dad had going on, where basically his dad would just, like, he had this little cart that he would roll around the city, and they would boil hot dogs in it, and they would dress as clowns, as, like, a clown family, and that was their gimmick, and they would sell hot dogs. And Shia says this was, like, the happiest time uh, with his family, because, you know... They were all happy when you're dressed as clowns trying to sell things. You have to be kind of jovial, you know. And that I'm was- telling you right now, if I saw a group of clowns walking down the street with a hot dog cart, I'm not buying a fucking hot dog. Yeah, you got me fucked up. Nah, but, you know, I do got clown love, so I'm, I might see what they got going on. No, nah, man, I'm good. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess it must have been different in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, street dogs was all happening. Street dogs were all the rage back then. Yeah, yeah. You buy a street dog from a clown, you buy a street dog from a cowboy, street dog from a fucking, I don't know. Guy <laughs> Um, but I think, uh, well, he's, he did, he did kind of have, uh, his parents had a kind of a strange relationship, right? Didn't, they broke, they, uh, got divorced very young. They split up when he yeah. was very young. Right? Yeah. I think, I think he was like four or so when they got divorced. Yeah. They had a tumultuous relationship. He called, he says his parents were hippies, but I don't know, man, after seeing honey boy, his dad did not seem like a hippie. I don't know what his mom had going on, but his dad seemed like definitely, uh, not cool. <laughs> like, well, we can, well, I think, I think that um, biker gangs and hippie culture kind of rubbed side by side, kind of like the same way that hardcore and pop punk rub side by side today. I see I mean, you making you that look- face, K-Town, but, I mean, if you, you know, like, uh, uh, I, oh, when, you, so- when you said biker gangs and hippie uh, culture, I was thinking the first thing that popped in my mind was, like, Rolling Stones, Altamont. Like, that's exactly what that was. I mean, it didn't go well. But that's exactly what that was. We gotta I think, also think. I mean, hippies did a lot of drugs, and who got the drugs to the hippies? I mean, yeah. true, true. That's a big part of it. Um, but anyway, so that's kind of the t- that's the, that's the type of parental figures a child buff had. Um, so he was kind of estranged from his dad for a while, but he did still have a relationship with him. And his father actually got him to perform an L.A. comedy club called the Ice House when he was just ten years old. 
Yeah, so his dad would actually get his biker friends to come in, and they had like this small window of opportunity before uh, the late night shows and stuff, where um, they would let Shia just go on stage, and he would just tell a bunch of like Lenny Bruce jokes to pretty much his dad's biker friends and just have them in there howling and stuff. And uh, they used to do that, I guess, pretty regularly. And uh, one night, uh, Jay Leno was supposed to be performing later that night, and one of his I guess guys was just in the audience, saw this 10 year old working the shit out of the crowd and was like, Oh wow, this guy, this guy's got some talent. And, uh, you know, whispered in Jay Leno's ear and they offered him a job on the show to be basically the warm up guy for the warm up guy before the show. Mm-hmm. And so boom, 10 years old. I mean, that's, a, that's a pretty crazy gig to get as a 10 year old. Yeah, man. dude, 10 years old. You're already basically Jay Leno? The crowd on Leno. Yeah. So I have I have heard that that's been kind of like a thing, especially at some of the old like kind of uh, like like sixties and seventies um, like comedy club scenes where like you just have like some young kid and that would kind of almost be the gag right there. If you've got a, a young, somewhat talented kid performing in front of a crowd, it's a bunch of a more people because you're at like some club owned by the fucking mob or something like that. So like you would have like kids, like really young kids who are just performing, and just the fact that you were seeing a young kid doing like dirty jokes or doing whatever was yeah. a gig unto itself. Yeah, that's just stick right 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 in itself, like you said. Yeah, that's like wow, that's a whole thing. Though, I, though I think the time period that this was happening, that probably wasn't the coolest thing <laughs> to do out there. But I think Jay Leno, I know Jay Leno kind of grew up as a, as a comedian during that period. So he's probably like, hey, these guys doing a, uh, you know, what we were doing in the 70s. So, so he, he does, the, he's like the warm-up act for the warm-up act for the Jay Leno show. And then they even used him in skits. Like in, skits? Yeah, they yeah. used him in, in skits in the show. And so he was actually on national television here and there, little little parts here and there. And so he kind of was able to use that to get his SAG card. And from there... He uh he reached out and tried to get an agent because he's like I'm about to do this all the way I need to make money. But what I understand when he first talked to his friend about getting an agent, his friend was like I'm not even going to tell you who my agent is. Yeah, like he was like yeah he was so, kind of still an out because because he was just essentially just a a street kid son of a clown. Yeah, he's like, a streeter. He's some downtown LA kid, and uh, he gets this—he gets this really sweet gig working for Leno. And one day, he actually sees for the first time on the couch, uh, he sees a another kid his age. That's actually, but instead of like doing what he's doing, which is like the sideshow thing, this kid's actually a guest on Leno. And he uh, talks to him afterwards, and he's like, "Hey, what's your deal? Like, what do you do? How'd you like get on the show?" And he's like, "Well, I'm an actor." And he sparks up a conversation with this kid. This kid was actually a child actor also on that show, uh, Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman. And so, Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so he actually, they hang out. He goes, they spark up a conversation and they go hang out one time and they go surfing in this nice part of town, this nice beach. And he notices this kid has like all the like freshest, like the best like surf gear, all the coolest stuff. And he asks him like what he does, how he affords it. And he's like, dude, I basically take care of my household and he's like you know what do, you, what do i gotta do he's like well you gotta get an agent and he's like well how do i do that and the kid's like well you gotta you i i was a model and shia was like well shit i don't think i can do that so he just goes the shire route and he just starts <laughs> hitting the books uh the phone books literally looking for an agent and he puts on a british accent and pretends to be his own manager and uh, it calls up telling people that they have to sign this uh, hot young actor, Shia LaBeouf. 
Hey, Governor, I'm a hot young little 10-year-old. I was on the Jay Leno show. Think I would get a gig with ya? Oi, mate. Yeah, you know what there. Oi, oi, I got a hot little Prince of Ice here. <laughs> hey, hello, Governor. I need you to hire a little street urchin. Hello, Governor. <laughs> would you like a street dog? <laughs> I got a street dog. He was on the Leno show. <laughs> I'm so sick. I gotta stop trying to do a British accent. It's just not working out for me. <laughs> well, what I think is so interesting about this is like when he tells a story, and when you listen to like other people tell the story, it's really it literally is just hey, I where do you get the money to do this stuff from? Like he's not even he's not he's trying to get in the show business as a kid because he wants to become some big star. He's just trying to pay the bills because to him, the more money he had, the closer he get to his dad because he started noticing that uh, his dad was getting more involved with his life when he saw to see that he was getting more involved in like a real kind of comedy career and we'll see that kind of getting become an even bigger deal with his next role in even stevens in 2000 so this is probably where a lot of people first saw i mean undoubtedly this is where most people probably first saw shia labeouf yeah yeah so yeah it, it, it's, it's like you said man so he's coming at acting from a totally different perspective not as a passion to uh create or anything but more as like a tool to make money like and 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 he's seeing that really as a as a something to kind of bring his family together. He's thinking like, hey, my dad's not around all the time because he's busy trying to chase money. My mom's not around because she's trying to chase money. If I make the money, I can get my family together. So it's kind of a sad thing, honestly. But and something that you see in Honey Boy is that his dad started to get closer and closer to him as he was getting bigger. He was kind of egging him on and trying to kind of make him become the star. He was kind of like living vicariously through his son, but also getting money because of his son's success. Yeah. You know why your mom got a job, Honey Boy? Because she don't believe in she you. She don't believe in you, Honey Boy. <laughs> she don't believe in you, Honey Boy. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's kind of what's going on, I guess, during the Even Stevens period. And, and real quick, I mean, we're going to go through his his, his, uh, his filmography and talk about all this, but do you guys have any specific memories with Even Stevens, 2000, 2003? I was not so, in Even Stevens' uh, head, dude. I didn't really know the show at all. Like, I didn't know who Shia LaBeouf was until, like, Transformers, honestly. <laughs> what about you, My kids? father was a raging alcoholic, so we couldn't afford cable. <laughs> mm. I remember um, even Stevens during – I never had, like, good cable when I was a kid, but I remember at one point we had, like uh, – we temporarily had good cable for, like, a little while, and we hold had – Hold on, hold on. What the fuck is good cable? That's the good shit. Like, I didn't, I didn't have anything besides, like, educational channels, like Animal Planet and, like, Discovery Channel and shit like that. Bro, I had an antenna. I had PBS and CBS. That's it. I had that most of my life, but anyway, we don't got to get into my life. But uh, we don't got to talk about the time. different. We don't got to talk about the different strains of cable, guys. Bro, talking about <laughs> cable, good cable, bro. But there's a period of time where I had access to like, um, like Disney Channel and like regular kids channels, and I would also watch uh, even Stevens when I was at like friends' houses or whatever. And I remember really liking it. I remember thinking it was really cool. You know, I mean, watching it now, it has not dated well. I didn't. I, I don't think that a kid that is his age in that movie, which is, I think, uh, like early high school, I want to say. I think he's like... Yeah, I think he's supposed to be like, high school age. Yeah, so he's like 14 or 15. I don't think the average 14 or 15-year-old could watch even Stevens now and get it at all. <laughs> at all. It, it's too dated. It's definitely too dated. We tried to, we, we ran some of that shit back and, like, 
And, you know, yeah, I, I don't know if it holds if it holds up really, but I mean, it's it. I mean, Payne just kept saying, "I look like the motherfucker with the mustard on his shirt." <laughs> oh yeah, he said he was really <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. you. But yeah, I think it's <laughs> it's one of those things that like if you were if you were into it at the time when it was big, it stays with you. And so his mm-hmm. fans from Even Stevens are still his fans now. Like, Absolutely. But, but even so, when I was watching uh, those episodes of Even Stevens, when we were watching it together, like uh, when we could back in the day when we could all be together in the same room, um, I, I I thought he I thought still he was. Um, he was standout. Like you, he was—he was definitely a talent. He stood out in the show and yeah. the cast, is, and he was really funny. You know, well, he was saying that he had—he had, he had uh, auditioned among like, ton, like, like hundreds of other kids or something like that. It was a ridiculous amount. And yeah, he just—I guess he—they just recognize his talent. They recognize his kind of like natural sincerity. Plus, I guess they were saying that when they were casting for even Stevens, they wanted that the, the shtick was supposed to be that it was about a kid comedian. Um, originally, it didn't end up really being like that, but he kind of fit their original idea of the character because he was doing comedy. He, he was literally doing yeah, stand up. Yeah, he was literally kind of a kid comedian. He kind of knew that world, so his personality fit in it pretty well. And and yeah, I mean, I enjoyed even Stevens when I was a kid. Um, but he was getting more successful, more noticed in Hollywood, and he got roles in Constantine and I Robot. Those were his first like big Hollywood movie roles. Yeah, he had a, he had a lot of little uh, smaller roles and a lot of other things, small things like uh, what were we say like X Files and um, all types of really small roles. But then he started to really pop after even Stevens, and then right after even Stevens, I think it was the even Stevens movie, and then Holes. So he's yeah, getting a holes, lot of, yeah. yeah. By holes, he's definitely popped big time, you know. I, I've I've actually never seen Constantine. I have seen I Robot, and his his role wasn't particularly memorable on I Robot. But Holes was definitely like as a kid who grew up watching Even Stevens, seeing him in Holes like that was awesome. I was like, oh, cool! It's it's a kid from uh, Even Stevens playing in the book that every single kid born in the '90s has read by requirement. Like y'all read Holes, right? No, nah, I didn't read Holes, but I was no, also not never born in the seen 90s. Movie or read the book. That's true, that's true. <laughs> Keita, you read, you read Holes, though, right? I'm, I'm an 86 baby, just like the no, boy man, Shia. never. Really? Yeah, wow. me and Shia are the exact same and age. And I've never seen the movie. Damn. Yeah, Holes was, like, a big deal. And, and when they made the movie, I remember, like, hearing the announcement about them making a Holes movie, and then I saw it saw it had Shia LaBeouf, and I was like, oh, cool. Like, I used to be a Shia head, honestly. Like, I used to really like um, like seeing him. And, uh, and we'll, we'll talk about how he's obviously a much different person. But, I mean, basically what you're seeing here is he's developing as a child actor. I mean, even Stevens, Holes, is kind of like on the far end, this kind of childish side. But he's also doing stuff like X-Files, Constantine, iRobot, where you can kind of see, like, there's this kind of friction between these two different types of personalities. And that all kind of comes to a head in 2007 when he does Transformers. Yeah, dude. So he goes right out of like these Disney Channel and smaller movies, and then he's catapulted like right into big time movies right off the jump, dude. He had a Lincoln Park soundtrack, bro. What? True. You're right. Lincoln Park did the soundtrack for that movie. For Transformers. You know what, K Town? You actually do a lot of singing on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. We so many singing. Where were you when? Where were you when Transformers dropped? Because I remember being in high school, and that was a big deal. I remember. I, was, I remember. I went with Guido Gangbang, Joey Twahola, <laughs> Sarah the Amazing, and Slashly to go see it on July Fourth at MacArthur Mall. 
It was. You could have just said some scene kids. Give <laughs> <laughs> an idea of Slashly, Sarah the Amazing, Joey Chola, yeah. <laughs> Guido Gangbang X, X Guido Gangbang X. But yeah, it was a big deal when Transformers dropped. It was like this is like back in the day where like the MCU wasn't even a thing yet. Like so, like just mm. getting these movies like Ghost Rider or like. Uh, uh, actually, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles didn't even come out back then yet. So, like, no, yeah. Ghost Rider, Ghost Rider was fire though, bro. <sighs> was, yeah. it, was it though? I loved it. I loved well, that it. is a controversial statement. But <laughs> it's interesting you say that. That like talking about the MCU because when you think about Transformers, you're right. Did I think Transformers came out a year before the first Iron Man, I believe. But really, you kind of see that same kind of like everything's really serious, this big epic situations going on. But there's still this tongue in cheek sense of humor that was going. Bro, it down. came out like three. It came out like three years. Iron Man came out in like 2009. Yeah, it, it came is- out after I graduated high school. Transformers came out 2006, 2007, bro. Yeah, it was way ahead of its time. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing is I remember watching Transformers and picking up on that this this whole thing of like okay, this is really serious drama, but like it's still kind of like relatable. The character's still kind of relatable. He's still kind of down to earth. It's there's this ordinary kid. Yeah, and right, that's where you really, even in Holes, is kind of where you first get the idea of ordinary kid thrust into extraordinary situations, which is kind of like uh, a plot design that will echo in a lot of his other films, and really his life in general. Transformers was also big, too, because, like like we said before, the MCU and everything, this was, like, in the beginning days of, like, taking and revamping an old-school thing to the big to the big screen. It's one of the first versions of that. So it was a yeah. really big deal. Before people were, like, completely... Before the market was so saturated that it was, like... Something that uh, was also, like, a, a comic book uh, sensation, mm-hmm. a kind of, like, Saturday, Saturday morning cartoon thing. cartoons, exactly. Same but- as... Same as the MCU, mm-hmm, but beforehand. So that's why. So it was yeah. a big deal, and it did it did good. It was it was good, considered a, a success, I believe. You know, they made oh, fucking yeah. oh, two yeah. more, <laughs> or no, they made like yeah. four more. <laughs> Fuck right. Yeah, yeah. Only two more with him, and I think there were two or three others with uh, Mark Wahlberg, which I actually saw one of the Mark Wahlberg ones randomly. But anyway. thoughts? <laughs> thoughts? Was it the one with the dice for the round table? Yeah, I mean, it was as good as any other Transformers movie, just fun, but way too long. But anyway, <laughs> so um, he goes on after Transformers and immediately goes on to shoot Disturbia. Like, literally, like, he's, like, off the set of Transformers, uh, which was done, which I think was produced by um, uh, Steven Spielberg. Yeah. And Steven Spielberg's company was also working, uh, DreamWorks was also working on Disturbia, and he just got suggested into that, and then literally days after... Two days. Trans- yeah, two days. Two days after Transformers wrapped, he was on set for bro. Disturbia. Bro, Rihanna did the soundtrack for Disturbia, bro. <laughs> really? Yeah, I know that. Yeah. Well, Disturbia yeah. is... Disturbia is... Uh, Disturbia is basically... It's based off of an Alfred Hitchcock movie called Rear Window. And I've never seen yeah, yeah, Disturbia, yeah. but I have seen Rear Window, and it was good. I remember wanting to see Disturbia because I was on kind of an Alfred Hitchcock kick at the time. Um, but yeah, I, I never saw it. Have you guys seen Disturbia? Actually, yeah, it's not good. No, I saw it when it. it came out, and I haven't seen it since. But I remember as like a teenager being like, "Nah, this ain't it, Chief." Yeah, this was yeah. Like, Disturbia was a big teen like bop for for him, like you know. So this is still like kind of capitalizing on that, like uh, his whole like uh, even Stevens. Uh, um, fan fan base, and you know, but it was a good movie. It was another big movie that propelled his career. He Shia LaBeouf looks great on paper at this point. 
Yeah, and and that's the thing is, yeah, you're right. He's going the trajectory of the child actor. It's like we're getting a little bit more serious, something too serious. You know, it's it's teenage movies now. At first, it was kid stuff. Now it's it's teenage stuff, and it, it shows something. And he's talked about this in interviews. Where like the idea that he was doing Transformers one day, and then a couple days later he was doing Disturbia meant to him that it's like that's not really acting. That's just hey, we need you to do that thing that you do in another movie with a different plot as a new person, as a new character. Yeah, be shy and, above here. After being yeah. Shia LaBeouf there. Yeah. And the same thing kind of continues into the movie that was, that's probably like, uh, I don't want to say, say it's controversial, but a lot of people don't really particularly like uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of the Crystal Skull. Now, I've always known, I've, now, don't at me, guys, but I've never seen an Indiana Jones movie before. And I've always known that, like, this is a bad movie. Even without ever seeing it or knowing anything about it, but I watched it for the first time like uh, like a couple of days ago, and you know, coming from someone who's never seen any Indiana Jones movie, I mean, I was like, it's kind of ridiculous, and there's some parts that are wild, but I, I thought it was fine, and I did, I like Shia LaBeouf's character in that movie actually, but I didn't have this whole legacy uh, to like uh, fight with, you know, so. No, no, fuck, fuck, fuck the crystal skull, bro. That ain't it. The crystal skull is the last Jedi to me, bro. Uh, well, the last Jedi is great. No, it's not. Well, I think what's interesting about that is like since you saw that movie, you didn't have this like really great legacy of movies that could be tarnished. Yeah. Whereas most people that were seeing that were seeing like the the revamping of a trilogy that they that they really loved like a beloved trilogy yeah. it and was the attack, it was it was the attack of the clones I will say I, I did get a vibe that Harry dude it was not for, hold on, hold on it was not as bad as attack of the clones <laughs> no I'm saying it was the attack of the clones of Indiana Jones oh yeah well, some people say that fan base of that but anyway I'm not anyway. going to go that far. But I mean, but it I, is I, the attack of the clones of that uh, saga. I can see that, but honestly, it's not a terrible. I mean, I don't think it's a terrible movie. It just is a terrible Indiana Jones movie. That's exactly. really. Yeah. I definitely got the vibe yeah. though that that uh, uh, Harrison Ford did not want to be there. <laughs> like, I get, well, dude, I get that vibe. Wasn't wanted to be there in thirty fucking years, bro. <laughs> yeah, anyway. yeah, dude, dead ass. Uh, yeah, Harrison Ford has not seemed excited about anything in a while. But anyway, so again, he's kind of continuing this trajectory of just being like uh, increasingly more successful um, child star. But this is when things kind of get weird because he once the the general consensus came out by like regular people that this movie was not that good. He publicly was like, "Yeah, I know it wasn't that good," and studios did not like that. No, he kind of bashed the movie a little bit too. He he addressed, you know, he addressed, you know, what what people were talking about in the movie being trash and yeah, studios don't like the studios and directors don't like you doing that. Doesn't make you it makes you kind of a hard sell for the next movie if you go in the public and kind of bash the movie. So, mm-hmm. you know, didn't look good for him, you know, talking shit about the movie however much fans and and critics were talking shit about the movie. Yeah, I mean, it's like getting a, uh, a Papa John sponsorship and then like saying the pizza sucks. Like, yeah, I know, <laughs> I know this pizza sucked, but I think the next one's gonna be alright, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shaq just dunks a pizza but, on the ground and. But yeah. really, what he was—he <laughs> he was just getting persecuted for doing what he does, and that's just be candid and you know honest and truthful, man, about how he felt. Maybe it wasn't the right thing to do when you're supposed to be promoting a movie, but he was just being honest. 
Yeah, because when it boils down to it, like, it's like, yeah, he's being honest, but I, I get where the studios are coming from with that. Because, I mean, some actors will talk about movies that they've done that are bad, but it'll be, like, years after they've come out. Like, years and more years. This is like... Yeah, yeah. I think this is still during the promotional period yeah, of the movie. Yeah, you're literally supposed to be promoting this movie. Right now. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, I know it was a dud, y'all, but... Yeah. Yeah, you know, guys, this podcast is brought to you by Dollar Shave Club. Now, their razors fucking suck. <laughs> yeah. Go to the website and use our promo code. So, guys, yeah, I, I've tried the Dollar Shave Club. How is it for you guys? Well, I've got razor bumps everywhere, but, uh, you know, they paid us, and my I... My dick fell off. <laughs> I cut my own dick off. With it, they said I could shave my balls. Actually, Dollar Shave Club, if you're listening, please don't take any of this seriously. It's a bit. We'd love that sponsorship, baby. Yeah. If we can get sponsorship, I want to get Quip because I actually use a uh, Quip. I'll shave my fucking back on live stream with one of your razors. Well, let's get that. Let's get that. Like a fucking gorilla. I want that Audible (laughs) sponsorship, man. Get some free books, baby. Mm. Oh, true, true, true. All right, so kind of moving on uh, to, to kind of <laughs> to kind of keep with this, this trajectory of talking about all those different movies. Uh, after that, um, four years later is when you get one of the more notable movies that he did, which was called Lawless, um, where he basically plays like one of these brothers involved in a, uh, a bootlegging um, kind of gang for uh, uh, for moonshine, moonshine, baby, during uh, Prohibition. And and this takes place in good oh. old VA, actually. Yeah, West, I thought it, I thought it was Western. No, it's Western Virginia, but you're right. It does have uh, 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 your boy. No one knew who Kyle was until he put on the mask. <laughs> Tom Hardy. What? Tom Hardy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he was he, he uh, co-starred with Tom Hardy, and this was definitely a much more serious role. Like he was actually acting in this. He was actually playing a character with real flaws. I was doing some kind of. Uh, there were some trickier maneuvers as an actor they had to do, and just a darker role. It's, yeah. it's bloody, it's gory, it's he violent. Said, he even says that this was the first movie where he considered himself acting in, and it's probably because he's, you know, he's co-starring against Tom Hardy, you know, and he has to, you know, you got to have your chops. Who at the time? Who at the time is getting ready for his role in The Dark Knight? Mm. So you know he was on his bullshit. You know he was on his shit. Apparently, yeah, this was off as fuck. They were doing a lot of um, drinking and stuff too. Actual drinking yeah. of actual moonshine. I don't know if Tom Hardy was actually drinking moonshine, but uh, well, um, did you? There's the story of him and Shia LaBeouf wrestling um, naked, butt ass naked in the hotel, and Shia pushed, kicked him down a flight of stairs, and knocked him out. Yeah, so there's a lot of rumors of like a, there being a lot of contention with him and uh and him and Tom Hardy. Well, the they were like playing around. Yeah, but it sounds like from Shia's point of view, he sounds like they that they were just fucking around, man. They were just having a good time. Yeah, they Shia was, was with vibes. a girl was with a girl in the bed, and and Tom Hardy kicked in the door and started wrestling with Shia naked. Well, I <laughs> and, guess. In the movie, they are playing these brothers who kind of have this like uh, like Tom Hardy's like the older, stern, serious, smart brother, whereas like uh, Shia LaBeouf's character is at first kind of this like kind of more mellow, meek character who eventually kind of steps up and puts himself in a more powerful position. But like I kind of see how like they're probably trying to kind of submit their roles, you know, like hey Tom Hardy, I'm yeah, gonna come yeah. in, I'm gonna fuck you up while you're fucking this girl while you're butt ass naked. And yeah, it turns out I guess I guess Tom Hardy fell down the stairs and messed up his back pretty bad. I, I think I heard that he didn't pass out. I don't think he got knocked out. I think that was a rumor. Shia LaBeouf um, has this uh, good quote that I found. Was this from the Hot Ones interview? Yeah, yeah. He he considers himself the fakest method actor out there. 
Mm. He survives by escapes. He says he survive. I survive by escapism. I escape into my role to keep something going because I have nothing going on. Well, because he does definitely from this point on, from like Lawless on, you see in each movie that he does, he tends to kind of he tends to kind of dabble in a little bit of method acting, you know, where mm-hmm. like I said in Lawless, they were actually drinking moonshine and stuff in between uh, takes and stuff, or I'm not sure if it was on set or just during the filming of the movie, they were drinking real moonshine to get kind of in the headspace. And um, I think in uh, that movie, Charlie Countryman, where there's a scene where he um, <clears throat> where he's mm-hmm. supposed to be uh, dosed with some ecstasy without him knowing, and he actually took uh, some acid to... Uh, get in the headspace of that scene, which seemed really unnecessary, honestly, for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and, and we'll get to that movie later, but yeah, I mean, and apparently in that movie, like he had never, well, he had never done acid before in his life. And the first time he does acid, it's on camera for a fucking like feature length, big movie. <laughs> like, yeah. So it's just it, fucking crazy. Well, a lot I, of these I, movies... I, I like that quote, uh, because I mean, that that's, that's a really weird way to method act. He, what he's saying is that he has, he has to survive by escaping into his role. That he has nothing going on in his life that he can pull from. He has so much trauma and so much that he's just trying to survive by that he has to just fully immerse himself into a role just to survive. I, it might be worth mentioning that uh, about this time, like by, by this point, um, in terms of uh, like his his more public image, he's, he's starting to kind of loosen up a little bit more and more. Like some of those issues that he had because of his very tumultuous childhood are starting to kind of rise, um, as they tend to do with child actors. I mean, child actors always tend to have this kind of like Britney Spears moment where they kind of break down. Um, but yeah. this, but this is when. Uh, things start to get a little bit dark for him. So he releases a short film in 2013 called HowardContour.com, um, but apparently afterwards uh, a bunch of bloggers had come down on him because he was dropping um, a a comic book called Justin M. Damiano, which is written by the, uh, a, uh, um, I guess, comic book artist Dan Klaus. So this became a huge fucking deal for Shia LaBeouf on the Internet. Yeah, so he gets he gets put under the spotlight for plagiarism, and he really... At first, I think he tries to kind of, uh, kind of pedal it off as, like, uh, not, like, really actually plagiarizing it and maybe just, like, being inspired by things. But when, it, when you get down to it, it, it's pretty much straight up just ripped off of this comic. And he has to kind of admit to it, so he gets kind of caught in the lie... And so he makes a Twitter post uh, apologizing kind of sincerely. And then it turns out that that uh, that post that he made was copied and pasted from like a Yahoo's answers. So then he even plagiarized his like uh, apology. So it's, it's looking real bad for Shia around this time. And this is actually right around the time um that he was um having the premiere for that movie Nymphomaniac and there's a press conference for Nymphomaniac where he actually just uh he just leaves the press conference uh, abruptly and just walks out of it and um an hour later on the the red carpet for this uh movie it's when he uh, shows up at the red carpet with the bag over his head with the eye holes cut out that says I'm not famous anymore Mm-hmm. And, that, you know, he wears that to the red carpet event. And uh, this is kind of the, the beginning of the uh, uh, I'm sorry, hashtag I'm sorry, hashtag I'm not famous anymore. And the many hashtag performance art pieces to come after this. This is the beginning of him becoming a meme. Yeah, I want to say um, that is the most gangster shit I've ever heard in my life. 
literally <laughs> copying and pasting your apology for stealing something from, from someone else. Stealing your apology on top of a stealing? Yeah, I that's wonder, some shit, bro. Is that a troll? I love how at a point, I love how at a point being like gangster becomes a synonym for just being stupid. You think that was a troll? Like he's like, well, if I'm getting accused of this, I'm just gonna steal this apology. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like maybe it was intentional. I never thought about that. Wow. Yeah, not until this moment that I really think about that. Like maybe it was intentional. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, so then, uh, so he gets a lot of press for the I'm not famous anymore bag. And then, uh, a couple days later, he starts up this art installation with a couple, uh, art friends of his in LA. He rents out this gallery. And, uh, I believe this one was called the I'm sorry, hashtag I'm sorry, or whatever. But basically, what this art project was was, uh, you went into this gallery, and when you walk in, there's a table with a bunch of different props on it, so it's like the Like whip. a Jack Daniels bottle, there's the whip from, uh, yeah, from Indiana Jones. Like a ukulele and a bunch of other stuff, and you pick, you pick your, <laughs> you choose your weapon, and then you, like, <laughs> sit and confront him. Dude, I forgot all about this, we should have fucking researched it. He said he got raped here by a woman. He did, he did. He got, he got, um, he got molested, but I didn't, sexually I don't know, he, said he got sexually he assaulted. Him and pulled his pants down. Yeah, yeah. Jesus. I did not know that. Wow. Yeah, he just, he just went along with it because it was art. Yeah, he, wow. he would just let, he would just let people, he, I guess he expected, because this was in the heat of all the plagiarism stuff, and he was getting a lot of hate mail and hate comments and stuff, so he really expected people to really, I guess, just lay it on them, and for the most part, things were very cool, he would just cry in front of people, and maybe take the bag, oh yeah, he, he would wear the I'm not famous bag, too, like, mm-hmm. uh, during this whole thing, but, um, he would just mostly, for the most part, it was just people talking to him, and he would cry, and some people may be trying to get him to take a shot at Jack. And what? Like, except ahead, for, like, sorry. the, the, the uh, sexual assault. He was assaulted by a woman. Well, I'd, he, what he was saying was that a big part of this was him reading up on this whole philosophy called uh, meta-modernism, I guess, which is kind of, like, a cross between, like, the way that we regularly see reality and postmodernism, whereas postmodernism is, is this idea that nothing matters. You kind of spit in the face of morality and conventional ideas, whereas metamodernism is this idea of like, okay, I'm kind of spitting in the face of, of everything that seems sacred, but I'm also kind of being convinced by it at the same time. I'm still kind of buying into it. And I guess that's kind of like a big influ- uh, a big inspiration for some of these art projects that he was doing where it was basically like, okay, I'm doing something that's kind of funny and weird and bizarre and kind of almost like I'm doing a troll, but at the same time there is a very sincere element of it. Like I really am trying to tell you I'm sorry, but at the same time I'm kind of saying, fuck saying I'm sorry. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it, that, that, this has been uh, Payne's philosophy moment for a little bit, guys. Like, I know it's been a while since we've had one of these. do not know to say sorry because <laughs> I miss more than just your body. There we go. But yeah, he, he does have quite a few of these performance art pieces. Uh, there's, like we said, there's the hashtag I'm sorry, where he does that whole thing that we just explained. There's the hashtag interview, 
where he sat for an hour with GoPros strapped to his head with a, another uh, another woman, uh, someone that he knew from the internet, and they just sat across each other in a hotel room and just stared at each other for like an hour. And that was a thing. And then he also did one called Hashtag Elevation, where he just spent like, I think it was like 10 hours or something in this elevator. And people would just, and he live streamed the whole thing. And people would just come on and off and talk to him or not. And uh, I guess we also have Hashtag All of My Movies, where he sat and watched all of his movies from the most recent to his first movie starting with like i think at the time it was like whatever his most recent movie was all the way back down to uh holes at the very mm-hmm. end and and a few more things i'm well, sure he, i'm leaving some things out but there's quite a few in well, another there. another really interesting another really interesting one he had was when he uh he performed um he, he called it a uh, narcissist meditation where he was just doing where he was just like exercising uh, in front of a camera for like an hour or whatever, oh, and again, yeah. that kind of goes into this, that kind of goes into like this whole um, uh, metamodernism thing, where all these things kind of have a sincerity to them. There is a very sincere artistic core to them, but at the same time, they're all kind of based on him being this this megalomaniacal narcissist, which is weird because I think to some people that have seen some of Shia LaBeouf's like material, they've seen this art, they've heard about his like various exploits with the media, they might think that he's just this kind of narcissistic narcissistic type of guy, but at the same time, he's kind of making fun of himself. He's kind of making fun of the whole the whole thing. And I don't really know if there's a specific point to it, but it's revelatory, if nothing else, about like, like what what a narcissist looks like and how um how it's how things aren't always all they're chalked up to be. So is it like a troll then? I think it's like a troll, but it's like a sincere troll. It's like if a troll was was like telling all these jokes online, but it occasionally kind of reverts back to like actually having something that they stating something they actually believe in, something that they actually care about. So I think that's kind of like what's going on with a lot of his performance art. I know that he had read books on uh, on metamodernism, and that's why I'm kind of bringing this up. It's like that was a big influence and artistic impetus for. Um, a lot of his performance art. So, so let's rattle off some more of his uh, some more of his movies when he's in this era. When we're, we're in the uh, the fake method actor era. Yeah. So one good example of this was in Fury, uh, which came out in 2014, just two years after Wallace, the last movie that we mentioned. Um, so Fury was about uh, Shia LaBeouf. He's acting alongside Brad Pitt and John Berthall. Um, where basically there um, there are some soldiers in World War II who, who are stuck in a tank, and apparently it's based off a true story. And for this movie, um, there's a period of time where the actors actually did lock themselves inside of this tank so they could fully like immerse themselves into the characters because there are some people who were on set, who were actually in World War II, who had been in a situation, and they talked about it. They were like, yeah, you don't really know what it's like until you've actually lived that life um, inside the tank, that kind of claustrophobia, that fear. So they actually method acted, in a sense, and actually lived inside of this tank for a, a long period of time. Yeah, I don't think Brad Pitt did that. I think he stayed at the hotel. <laughs> yeah, probably. He's <laughs> too pretty for that. But I think it was mostly I think it was mostly Shia and uh, Berthal or John Berthal. Yeah, because I think they had a little back and forth thing 
that they were doing and uh, on and off screen where they would kind of do these little games that they would play off screen and stuff, which led to some real like uh, some real physical uh, shit going on where Shia like had a tooth pulled out and uh, and like physically cut his face. I guess he didn't like the what the makeup artists were doing. And so he he actually took like a knife to his face and like scarred his face, which you could still see like the little scar on his face. And he would like that's fucking Dope. Yeah, and he would like he would like peel it open before they would shoot and stuff, so it would be like literally leaking and stuff. Jesus! Yeah. Uh, they also stole chicken from the Bildenberg uh, meeting. Oh yeah, this is yeah. a crazy story. Yeah, like at a hotel yeah, like, or something. Uh, the, the Koch brothers and shit, like the the real Illuminati. I, I could go. I can go in for the next, you know, forty minutes, Alex Jones style, if you want. But, uh, <laughs> these are just shitty, fucking right wing, fucking billionaires that are super big into like super PACs and shit like that. They basically own all of your fucking senators and your house, your representatives, and they control every aspect of our fucking lives. Yeah, go ahead. Shia LaBeouf just walked into the meeting and stole a plate of chicken from him. Hey. Well, apparently, apparently he had no idea it was a Bilderberg meeting. Like, he just walked in to get some chicken. He was like, oh, there's catering for some event going on. We're shooting a movie. We get catering. Let me get a piece of chicken. And apparently that's when someone came up to him. They're like, who are you, blah, blah, blah. And he found out, oh, shit, it's the Bilderberg meeting. <laughs> so in the middle of, like, of yeah, the, the Koch brothers and all these, like, big uh, kind of um, the puppet masters of the world type people, there's a Shia LaBeouf chewing on some chicken trying to shoot a World War II movie. Incredible stuff. Incredible stuff from Shia. Yeah. Um, but another movie he put out uh, just a year later was a movie called Co- Charlie Countryman, which I actually watched as part of the research for this episode, and I really enjoyed it. It was my favorite new Shia LaBeouf movie that I've seen so far. Yeah, I thought, I thought it was a strange movie. It's definitely a strange movie, an interesting movie, but uh, it was a good time. It was a good time. Yeah, it's basically about Shia LaBeouf's character. His mom has died, and her ghost tells him to go to, um, what was the place again? Bucharest. Bucharest, yeah. She tells him to go to Bucharest, and then he goes there and basically becomes kind of like uh, like traditional film noir, film, film fatale type of movie. He meets this girl whose father has died in Romania um, in Bucharest, and he kind of tumbles down to the darker world of, of society out there. She's married to some gangster dude. He meets a bunch of uh, crazy British party guys, one of them being the actor who played Ron Weasley in the Harry Potter movies who plays a uh, wannabe porn star in the movie. Rupert Grant. Yeah, yeah, he wants he wants to become a, a porn star, and his act his uh, actor name was, um, what was it? Uh, Wait, which one's Ron Weasley from the Harry Potter movies? Which Red one's Ron's, Ron Weasley? Yeah, what? Yeah, which one is he? You got to do better than that, K-Town. No, the one <laughs> He's the redhead. He's Harry's best friend. I'm, oh, I'm so uh, offended right now. The twins or the the, the one the one brother? <sighs> Let's just move on. Let's just. Move well, I did. On. I did want to mention. I don't know who Ron Weasley is. I just want to fuck with you. Well, kind of as a fun aside. Ron Weasley Steakhouse. You mean Draco Malfoy from Slytherin? Fuck you, K Down. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, a kind of fun aside, what was uh, Ron Weasley's name again? Uh, Rupert Grant. So apparently, like, to him, this movie was his way of kind of separating his image from Harry Potter because he plays a kid who wants to be, he's like this drug-addled kid 
who's uh, wants to be a porn star. And there's like a scene where apparently he went to an audition to become a male porn star, and like he took like a bunch of like a ton of Viagra pills and like had a permanent boner they couldn't get rid of. Permanent and they bone. even show it. Yeah, they even show it on camera for a second. I mean, not the actual dick, but the outline. And you see that, you're just like, oh, shit, that's fucking Ron Weasley. So you're kind of seeing two different actors. Was it his actual dick or was it a fake dick? I'm pretty sure it was a prop. I'm pretty sure it was a prop. <laughs> They're like, but, let, um, let us get a real hard one here, Rupert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, and then he makes that fucking face at Ron Weasley. Ooh, I, what do we do? I can't get a boner right now in front of you. Know, Harry. Uh, yeah. Harry. But it is kind of interesting because you're seeing two notable child actors kind of trying to come extreme. And like you said, this is the movie where um, Shia LaBeouf did, actually did acid on set for the movie. Which is wild. Um, Which I didn't even think was necessary at all. It's like you could yeah. have just acted spaced out for like this scene. It's like a very like, short scene. No, fuck you, man. I want to drop some acid. Well, he could have at least just done ecstasy like he was actually supposed to be on in the movie. Well, he's they on ecstasy in the movie. They he's tripping on acid in real life. Well, they couldn't find any ecstasy. It was, uh, what, what's the other actress's name in that movie? Evan, Evan, um... Rachel I, Wood. Rachel Wood? But, uh, she, well, she, she actually, they, because he debated with doing it for a while, and then he finally decided to do it, and, uh... She actually had, um, cause they, this was all on, on site in, in Romania. They filmed this thing. So, and she actually had connections because she used to date Marilyn Manson. So she had connections wow. to the underground uh, dope world in Romania. And, uh, but she couldn't get any ecstasy. So they just got acid. So there's a few situations of life kind of imitating art right there. And again, yeah, this is another- Evan, Evan Rachel Wood, bro. Oh, Evan Rachel Wood. That's right. I knew, yeah. 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 Daily whispered whispered that to me about forty times. <laughs> but again, she said, no, she was married to Marilyn Manson. <laughs> married. But this is another movie where, again, he's even though it's a much more mature movie, this is another kind of situation of him being an ordinary kid thrust into an extraordinary situation, which again kind of mimics his real life. Um, but the kind of continue on. He also did uh, Nymphomaniac Parts 1 and 2 in 2016, which I didn't see either of these. We didn't see it, but apparently... Was Ron Weasley in it with a boner? No, he wasn't, but there was a lot of fucking... (laughs) I mean, naturally, there's a lot of fucking going on, and this was the movie, I think, that really kind of to break him out of that Is this the one with William Dafoe and he, like, cuts his dick off? No, that's that's, uh, Antichrist. Oh, okay. What is that? Wow. He doesn't cut his dick off. He doesn't He's because the bleeds come, but it's actually William Defoe's dick. Yeah, it's rated X. Yeah, it's on Amazon. Yeah, check it out. Check it out. Amazon Prime. Check it out. With Nymphomaniac, anyway. Nymphomaniac is the movie where I feel like he tried to really break that child actor role because it's it's a movie. It's literally called Nymphomaniac. It's like a five and a half hour two part movie where I guess it's just a lot of fucking going on and a lot of real close, uh, intimate scenes of like, you know, Hollywood fucking. So like, but, uh, but he actually, this is the movie where he actually married one of his co-stars, uh, Mia Goth. I don't think she played his love interest in the movie, but she had a small role in the, in the movie. And, um, wouldn't that have been just fucking adorable though? It had been cute. Yeah. It had been cute. So apparently they got married by a guy dressed up as Elvis and, of course, got divorced two years later. Although apparently, as of just a week ago, they were caught kissing in public while going on a run together. Mm. Mm. Shout out to my girl Kaylee keeping up with the celebrity gossip. 
that hot gas, baby. Um, so uh, about a year after this, he does, or sorry, the same year, actually, he does a movie called American Honey, um, which you can actually find on Netflix right now. It's two and a half hours long, and it's pretty good. It's about, uh, Shia LaBeouf basically plays um, this, this leadership character among um, this band of misfits who are in a van touring around the country selling magazines, and they recruit this girl who's the main protagonist of the film. Her name's Star. She's just this regular girl from uh, Texas who's living in Oklahoma where they pick her up. And she just kind of joins them. Um, I think she's like 18 years old. She just joins them and goes off on this crazy trip with all these crazy hashtag barely legal. Yeah, and uh, the vibe it's got mad juggalo vibes. Like I mean, it's an A24 film, so like it's Ooh. good. It's good, but like it's kind of a slog. I mean, it's it's probably not for everybody. I kind of enjoyed it. My girlfriend hated it, but uh, if you want to check out American Honey, you, you can check it out. On Netflix right oh, now. I need mean, A24 films to kind of just, you know, chill out a little bit. They've been on one recently. <laughs> I don't need to hear Adam Sandler scream that he's going to come. Like, you know what I mean? Holy shit, I'm going to come. <laughs> <laughs> like, just, just dial it down just a bit, bro. <laughs> Um, well, it was in the same year, which remember, this is the this is an election year. It's a 2016, the election year of Hillary versus Donald Trump, um, where he starts getting a little bit crazy. He uh, the first thing before we get into the heavy one uh, is where he got involved with the Just Do It project, which is part of an MFA program at Cal Arts or the California School of the Arts. Where basically, um, you've all seen this. He's propped up in front of a green screen and he's basically saying, "Do, do it." it. Just do it. And basically the internet got a hold of this and they put him in front of anything and everything they could because he was in front of a green screen. Yeah. So he says he made this to be a meme. Like I guess it was a a series of monologues and stuff. There's about 30 different, um, 30 different little acts that he does with props and stuff. And the just do it one, the motivational speech one is the one that went, I guess the most viral, but can I be honest with you guys real quick? Uh, I I really love that Just Do It video. I think it's really motivational. I think it's great. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's 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 hard hitting, bro. Especially when you know, it's like in front of like a podium of like the House of Representatives or some shit. You know, <laughs> it's inspiring. It's like the the White House lawn. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think. But it's- uh, Shia, Shia talking about it, you know. He he's really all about uh, the memes. Memes are art. He uh, he says anything that moves you is art, so that includes memes. Mm. So you know, keep sharing memes, guys. It's art. I really vibe with that actually. Like the idea of anything yeah. that moves you is art. When when it comes to like kind of deciding, it, it's kind of like um, there's a famous situation of the congressperson who when they were talking about like what constitutes porn, they said, I know it when I see it. That's kind of like what art is in a way. It's like you can't really define it. It just it depends on how it makes you feel. It depends on what impact it has on you. And a meme can make you laugh. It can make you fucking cry. It can inform you. A meme can do anything and he fully embraces that. Memes He's a celebrity. Are, memes are provocative. Art is provocative. There you go. Memes are art. That's that's how I knew ASMR is garbage because, you know, I know it's weird porn, fetish porn. okay so this is the same year like we said has the presidential election and in the heat of all of the politics that were going on especially with the election of donald trump uh this is where he first launched the he will not divide us um artistic what would you call this like art project i guess it's performance art art project it's art project yeah k-town you want to take this one actually yeah he will not divide us was 
to be the first great art project of the Donald Trump presidency. This was going to be the the thing. This was going to define our generation under the Trump presidency. And he really thought this. He really believed this. He really believed this. So the project debuted on January 20th, 2017, the day of Donald Trump's inauguration. Basically on the side of an art installation uh, building in New York City, he had a camera underneath the words, he will not divide us in black block lettering. That's it. It's all building <laughs> a camera about this big and he will not divide us just spray painted above it. So you could stream, you could watch this online as a 24 hour hour a day, seven day a week stream. And the idea was that it was going to stream nonstop until Trump was out of the white house. And the purpose of this stream was people would just come up off the street and chant. He will not divide us. That was the idea. Of course, that was the idea. So in the the first day, there was a bunch of just multicolored, non-binary, uh, just people affected by Trump's presidency coming up and crying and chanting, "He will not divide us." And Shia was there for a lot of this, right? Yeah, he was there. They were doing drum circles, beating on drums, <laughs> acoustic guitars, tambourines. He will not divide us. I love that your overview of like liberals was multicolored people that are non-binary. <laughs> multicolored hair. Oh, okay. <laughs> there was a bunch of colors. <laughs> it's a bunch of colored colors. No, I meant multicolored hair, non-binary, multicolored hair people. We know what you mean. We which, know what you mean. which are my people? I mean, yeah. I'm pretty liberal. I yeah, got no. nothing against those people. I just think they cry too much. Um. But then 4chan uh, naturally decided to uh, troll the stream almost immediately. They began dressing up in Nazi uniforms and MAGA hats and just running on stream and trolling the fuck out of it. Which is particularly, Um, I mean, it's already gross enough to be dressing up in a Nazi uniform, but this might be a good time to mention that Shia LaBeouf is part Jewish. So this is particularly, like I would imagine to him probably like a particularly visceral thing to see, like his art movement be, being kind of subverted by the worst of the worst. I mean, Nazis are horrible to all so, people. So but if what, Jewish, what, I will say, what I will say is I, I will 100% admit that probably a lot of these guys were racist, but I would say the majority were just like Joker-type edgelords. Yeah, they were. They just wanted to watch the world burn. They they knew it was going to trigger people. They didn't. They weren't necessarily racist or Nazis. There was actually a lot of like Asian and black people that were trolling, but they just wanted to fuck with these people because they were getting emotional and crying on stream, chanting, "He will not divide us," and they yeah. were easy targets. They were so. I mean, I have a lot of highlights from this stream. This was there's a lot of uh, videos online of this shit. It's it's insane. This seg- this segment kind of works as K Towns tells into the abyss within another episode because this is actually a very fascinating little uh, side story in the Shia LaBeouf saga. Yeah. So one of my first things is for some reason a lot of the trolls adopted uh, Metal Gear Solid, a very popular video game series. They adopted it uh, as part of the troll. So it's weird. It's it's really weird. It's a very well. The big thing about Metal Gear Solid is very anti-government, anti-war, anti-establishment. Yeah, I was going to say there. It's kind of like like Snake is like the antithesis of like a Trump supporter, right? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's completely against war. I mean, but that's that's the duality of it. I mean, I could go into, you know, 60-hour rant on Metal Gear Solid. It's literally my favorite game series of all time. True, true. Fair enough. But it, it's weird that they adopted this. So one of the one of the, the biggest uh, things was there was this guy uh, that everyone called Jihadi Jesus. It was this, like, um, Arabic-looking guy that had long hair, and they called him Jesus. So he would dress up in eye patches and sing the uh, theme song from Metal Gear Solid 3, which if you've ever heard that theme song, it's amazing. You guys should look it up right now on YouTube and listen to it. It's called Snake Eater. Um, then at one point, there's a guy behind Shia on the stream on the, on his phone, and he's talking really loud right in Shia's ear. He's like, you know, a lot of people criticize him for Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. But I personally thought he was fantastic. And then he turns to the camera and does a big wink. <laughs> did Shia, did Shia have a have a reaction to that? Was he like, like... kind of like froze from like his weird dance and was just like noticeably right. triggered. <laughs> um, another favorite one of mine is like there's this very uh, gay troll up there and he's screaming that Shia LaBeouf is a rich white liberal who doesn't care about the working class. Which I mean. I mean, probably, probably true. Yeah, but at the same time, like, is it is it his job to care about the working class? Well, I think that's part of the argument. Is you're sitting yeah. there calling, you're doing a whole art show on Trump, and then you're kind of doing the same thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, like it's not you're his place. To not be in. A fair share of taxes. Who's calling someone out for not doing it? You know what I mean? I didn't, Pay your fucking taxes. I think that kind of goes into like the complaints that a lot of like conservatives have about like uh, liberal celebrities is just kind of like, okay, like you do your thing. I like your movies, but like what, why do you need to be in this discourse? Which I can kind of understand, even though I agree with most of these liberal celebrities, I can kind of see why. It I, mean, is I agree kind of with like, liberal celebrities too, but it is weird that, you know, they're calling for these things and then they're not paying their taxes and they're living in a, a you know, a $500 million home. Yeah, sure. They're donating. They're donating zero 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 one percent of their wealth and acting like it's a fucking godsend. Wait, you, you know, tell me, Shia LaBe- Wait, you tell me, Shia LaBeouf isn't paying his taxes? <laughs> Probably not. Not like I am. That is not well, confirmed. Yeah. That's not confirmed. You know, Bill Gates. Bill Gates is wanting me to suck his dick because he donated a million dollars and he's worth fucking four hundred billion. True. Fair enough. Anyway, let's not. Let's get off. Yeah, let's not, not get, get bogged down, guys. Topic. A lot of, lot of guys in Nazi uniforms yelling 1488 on stream. Um, at one point, Shia uh, sexually assaults a troll on stream. Some guys yelling, um, Hebes will not divide us. And Shia starts licking his face and shoving his tongue down his throat. Ew. Which Ew. Sexual assault. I mean, yeah, the guy probably deserved to get punched, but, you know. Why did you shove your tongue down his yeah, throat? Yeah, try to make out with him, I guess. <laughs> yeah, um, weird, way, weird way of retaliating. So one of my – probably my favorite troll of this whole thing was there was this uh, non-binary black dude that came on stream a lot, um, and he he brought up at one point he was talking to, like, one of the trolls, and he was like, you know, it's really racist when white people drink milk in front of black people because, you know, a lot of black people are lactose intolerant, so it's really disrespectful. So the trolls, wow. all the trolls from then, uh, that point there on, just started coming out with gallons of milk, chugging it on stream because it was apparently racist. 
I mean, that's what a weird. That's that's the weird thing because like, as much as I want to hate these people because they're dressed up as Nazis and shit, they're pieces of shit. Like, how do you not just joke the fuck out of these people though? Like, yeah, you're you got a guy telling you it's racist to drink milk. Like what? Like, what the fuck? Yeah, you've got a cesspool on both on behalf of both sides, probably. Both sides, yeah. yeah. Um, there's always the the infamous normies get off my stream. Uh, there's a bunch of people chanting "He will not divide us," and some girl named uh, I think it's Brittany Venti. She's a a, a very uh, famous streamer. She gets on there and she screams, "Normies get off my stream!" <laughs> And then she, she, was she is she what you would call an e girl? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. It's it's just a shit show, man. Yeah. On both sides, um, just people just coming up and trolling the shit out of them. So this went on for about a month. Um, no, hold on. Yeah, it wasn't even that long, right? Maybe a few, maybe a couple weeks. Maybe. So after six days, Shia got arrested. Um, he thought he was attacking one of the trolls, but it turned out to be one of his supporters. Wow. He, um, got charged with misdemeanor, uh, assault. The charges got dropped, but he got sent back to LA. Um, then, uh, on February 10th, um, they just ended the whole exhibit. Um, so the week leading up to the ending of the exhibit, they actually put up a steel wall, which everyone thought was hilarious because that was one of, you know, Trump's rallying cries was build the wall. Yeah, it's ironic. Literally put a wall up to keep people from on stream. So <laughs> people, so that was like... Uh, the irony was not lost. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it sounds like in a lot of ways the art project is actually, I mean, there's a lot more to talk about, but it's almost like it succeeded in being like an art project, at least. It's very revelatory of the irony of this person who's very famous and successful trying but to it's, define it's things. Not the way, it's not their victory though. And that's, that's the whole problem with the art project is they, yeah. this was their smug win against Trump and it wasn't a smug win. And by putting up a wall eventually, yeah, ultimately the irony wins when it's yeah. like, okay, well ultimately there is still a very big wall between you and regular people and the discourse that you think that you have a right to participate in to that degree at least. So the museum eventually has just had enough. They're tired of people drinking milk. They're tired of people crying. They're tired of the chants. And they shut the exhibit down on February 10th. Um, and Shia that day tweets um, in all caps on just white on black lettering, uh, the museum has abandoned us. <laughs> no explanation, nothing, just the museum has abandoned us. From his his mansion in L.A. Um, so then they moved the um, the next location, the El Rey Theater in Albuquerque, New Mexico, on February 18th. It was just like on a busy street in Albuquerque. wasn't a whole lot of like trolling. There was some, but not as much as New York. Um, they ended up closing the stream down on February 23rd when some random dude walks up and he's like like talking like throwing up gang sets and shit, and he just pulls a gun out of his waistband and holds it up like this. <laughs> and they're like, it's too dangerous. We have to shut it down. And they shut it down. So then then the the, the magnum opus happens. They, this is crazy. This they is take so crazy. a flag with the words, he will not divide us on it. They hang it in the middle of a field in an unknown location on March 8th. 
And it's a 24-hour stream of just the flag and the sky behind it. This is um, the trolls. So 4chan immediately. Yeah, they really start uh, putting in work, in, right? Yeah, they called in fucking experts, dude. It's insane. By experts, do you mean people, nerds with way too much time on their hands? No, I, I mean, this is, about, this is like yes. trigonometry. So they use, they match the cloud and wind patterns with the time of sunset. And the fact that the the ambient noise and that they heard frogs in the background, they were able to uh, take that information and find out that it was in like Missouri or some shit. Yeah, through process then of they elimination, saw, they could nail down what part of the country it was in, and then and, and they're they looking. Saw, at, I was gonna say they're they're looking at like the plane trails too, and like yeah, looking yeah, at like the they saw a plane go on stream. They used the trajectory of the plane and the angle from which they saw the plane and used trigonometry to narrow down the rough position of the flag. And then someone got in his car and while driving in the approximate area started honking his horn and people on stream were telling him, you're getting closer, you're getting closer based on the sound of his horn until they found the flag. The flag was up for a total of 38 hours and 14 minutes. Jesus Christ. (laughs) <laughs> they they took the flag down and hoisted up a MAGA hat. Oof. <laughs> Trolls won. And, I think, and it was streamed for another, like, 14 hours before anyone caught it. Wow. And what's crazy is you can still go to hewillnotdivideus.com and you can still see the stream, but now it's just, like, there's nothing but the flag in the way. Well, right? so it moved, it moved to a museum in Liverpool after that. A guy climbed the, the museum which was like four stories tall, climbed the museum, uh, took the flag down, immediately got caught. Um, then they moved it into an apartment, um, and it was just hanging on some dude's wall in his apartment in Poland. They found out where it was. They sent the house like 800 pizzas and like fucked with his Wi-Fi router and shit. And then like I think someone has it now, but it's like all tattered and beat up. There's not even like a real flag anymore. God damn. I got I to admire the persistence, though. Like, he was like, no, like, this is going to last. Even though at this point it's like being a dead horse. It's stupid. Well, it's like, but my whole thing, like, the room thing is like, that's not a win. Like, they're like, oh, we won. It's still hanging. No, you had to lock it halfway across the world <laughs> in some random dude's house. Like, that's not a win, dude. Yeah, it's not a win. It's not a win. It's very silly. I mean, I'll give it to him that he never put it, that he never stopped it. He never let it stop. But, like, it's not an effect. No one's thinking, like, oh, he got us, you know. The trolls won. And it's, I mean, despite the Nazi shit, it's it's really fucking funny, dude. Yeah, I don't know how to feel about it. I'm like, yeah, these trolls go out of their way. shit's fucked up, but, like, it's just people just trying to fuck with people. You know what I mean? They're going way well, out uh, of their way for this. <laughs> like, an interesting so thing about I mean, this, though. I mean, yeah, yeah, they did went out of their way, yeah. Well, an interesting thing about this, though, is, like, during this time, um, it, and he will not divide us and kind of the aftermath of he will not divide us, he was kind of going through a very rough time in his personal life. Well, I think this thing kind of broke him a little bit. He was going through a rough time yeah. before all of this. That's why, hence all the other performance art pieces. And then I think with the whole election and everything, that gave him something, I guess, a little more righteous to glom onto. And that didn't work. And that didn't work. And so. I think that, that kind of really broke him for a bit. So, yeah, he did kind of go more to a, a, 
a reflective period, a lot more of his destructive behavior. I didn't. I don't think we mentioned all the times he was arrested for drunken public and whatnot before all this, but he has uh, another drunken public incident where he gets arrested and he's facing real. He's facing real jail time here, and lucky for him. The judge gave him a choice on whether to, uh, I think he was looking at about seven years in jail or to go to this kind of like rehabilitation program. And so he obviously mm-hmm. chose the rehabilitation program where he was forced to reckon with a lot of his past experiences. And he found out, they told him in this uh, program that, yo, you've got PTSD. And he's mm-hmm. like, you know, from what? And it turns out from his childhood growing up with his dad and stuff. And in this program, they had to do a lot of, do a lot of this uh, exposure therapy where he would have to relieve, relive these moments. And a lot like uh, auditing in Scientology where he would have to write down these moments yeah. and relive them and retell them and act them out to the point to where it didn't really affect him anymore. And so during all this time, he's writing these scenes and reliving these scenes and acting out these scenes. And he pretty much basically writes the screenplay for Honey Boy during all this. And uh, he, <laughs> he reaches out to an, uh, an artist friend of his and, you know, and she supports him. And she's telling him, look, you should just go ahead and finish this. You should you can you can do this. And so that's kind of mm-hmm. where. Oh, yeah. And this was all happening. This was all happening uh, right after. His one of his latest movies, uh, Peanut Butter Falcon. Like in the middle of filming this movie is when he got arrested, or like shortly after mm-hmm. filming this movie, in the middle of promoting it, is when he got arrested and sent to this rehabilitation program where he basically wrote the screenplay for Honey Boy and turned that turned his pain and uh, um, past uh, problems into. A really, a really, I think, dude, Honey Boy is a really great movie, honestly, dude. Honey Boy, Honey Boy fucked me up, man. Yeah, it hit um, me right in the feels. I saw a lot yeah. of parallels with his upbringing that I had with my father. Um, yeah, I think we all realized we had some daddy issues after watching that yeah. movie. <laughs> so, I, yeah, actually, I, I, wanted to mention, I wanted to mention Honey Boy was kind of like the first piece of research that we all did together back in the day before social distancing, which feels like years ago. Yeah, when we could Probably all still hang just, out. Yeah, we were watching this movie together. We're thinking, okay, let's do research for this episode. This is a really relevant movie. It's It's got biographical information in it, basically, because basically based on uh, the period of time uh, with him getting a job with even Stevens. Like, yeah, it's not working, him. yeah. Working on even Stevens. Yeah. He's, he plays, yeah. they play fictional characters, but it's loosely based off his, uh, his life. And he says that everything in the movie did happen. Yeah. And like when we were watching this movie, we had to take a break about halfway through and we, uh, we went out, uh, out outside to go smoke a cigarette together. And we all kind of had this simultaneous like re- revelation that like, we were talking about our relationships with our dads and like um, how how those issues are relevant to that movie. And then Mark, I remember you were just like, "Do we all have daddy issues?" <laughs> but, but that's what it's, that's what this movie's about. This movie's all about having daddy issues, and it's a powerful movie. I highly suggest it. Yeah, yeah, definitely go check this out. Ten out of ten would recommend this movie. It yeah. fucked me up. I actually, um, from this movie, I actually kind of did some of the stuff he did therapy wise. And I started writing down all the horrible experiences I had with my father and trying to relive them and, you know, get past it. You know, it, it, this, this is probably one of the um, few movies that actually like affected me on like a, an actual like experience. Like it wasn't just like a piece of cinema. Like it, it, it got me to my core. It was a really good movie. 10 out of 10. So just like well, Joker. That? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? 
talking about Murray. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, but definitely, definitely, this movie definitely hits you right in the feels, man. You you got to feel this one. And, yeah, um, I would highly suggest that a good follow up to this podcast, if you haven't watched already, is to go watch Honey Boy because, like we said, it has a lot of the biographical information that kind of shows you what kind of person. Uh, or what kind of uh, background it took to turn into the person that is Shia LaBeouf, this kind of person who, who uh, was very talented in a lot of ways but is fundamentally flawed in so many other ways. But at the end of the day, it's just a regular person. At the end of the day, in this movie, you realize he's just a regular person. You watch his interviews. You watch uh, other movies such as American Honey, which is another good, which is another good example of him just being real. Like You realize that this is a real fleshed-out human being um, that has real issues, and he's just making it public. He's making it so that we can all see the most personal, dark aspects of his life. And uh, it's really powerful. I mean, I genuinely would say that Honey Boy is one of the best movies I've seen in a while. And not just because we're doing this podcast, not just because it has Shia LaBeouf, but because it's a genuinely fantastic movie. For sure, for sure. But yeah, and I think it's part of, I think Honey Boy and the Peanut Butter Falcon are part of this kind of redemption arc that you were starting to see from this newer uh, Shia LaBeouf, where he's kind of coming out of all of that other stuff. He's ma- he's making good art, he's making good movies, and you know, and, and I, think he's, I think he's done a lot of soul searching and is coming out the other end of a dark thing. He also even started a, um, a little theater company called like the Slauson Wreck, like in downtown LA where he's from, where he just lets kids just act out scenes and work through things and, uh, and do theater kids who normally wouldn't have access to theater or uh working through their problems through acting and stuff and uh i think he even said he's got some kids have uh, gotten on some netflix shows from it so he's doing good shit man yeah it's it's really a rise of the phoenix type of story for sure absolutely man i i definitely recommend everyone we're kind of i think we're kind of towards the end of our our whole spiel yeah, yeah. But, um, I think a, a really good thing if you want to kind of get past like so for a long time like Shia LaBeouf was a douchebag. No one liked him. <laughs> and I think yeah, I, would say, just, I, would, I would say like you've got you've got your 2000 to 2008 Shia LaBeouf, and then you've got your, which was just child actor, you know, teenage actor. Then you've got kind of asshole douchebag Shia LaBeouf, which is about 2012 to about 2000, maybe 18, and then, yeah, now you've got something totally different. I would I would definitely recommend, if you want to kind of get a feel for, like, how he is now, um, Hot Ones, is a, the Hot Ones interview is a, definitely a really good kind of character study of him. Yeah, and yeah. Like how he is as a person. There's a lot, of, like, a lot of it seems very lighthearted, but if you really, like, listen to it, and kind of piece together what's been going on in his life and like the answers he gives. It's a it's a pretty in depth interview. Sean Evans, by the way, the guy who does Hot Ones, the interviewer, is probably one of the greatest interviewers of all time. Yeah, he has the most great amazing questions. like thought out questions, and I highly recommend watching it. All right, so do we kind of want to uh, tie this up and let's take it go there. around, boys? Let's take it all to right, this boys, segment. Right. Let's gather around the round table. All right, guys, so Shia LaBeouf, you have come before the Kings, and you want to know, uh, what do we think? Do you think that your good times are killing us or not? Are they actually helping us? Has has your redemption arc truly been a redemption arc, or is it all just kind of some narcissist being silly? So who wants to kick it off for the Are the Good Times Killing Us segment? I'll kick it off. I'll kick it. I'll start it. Shia LaBeouf, the good times are not killing us, man. 
I think he's just a dude, a child actor. He's had the cameras on him since he was a young boy. We've had to, you know, imagine if we had uh, the entire world watching us growing up. I'm sure we have a lot of times that we'd look back on that we're not shown in the best light, you know. And having to grow up on camera is not an easy thing. And I think he spent a mm-hmm. lot of time, like I said, doing a lot of soul searching and trying to, like, find the truth in uh, everything that he does. I think he's a really mm-hmm. endearing, candid person. And over, like like I said, I didn't, like, grow up watching even Stevens. I didn't have, like, a special place in my heart for Shia LaBeouf anywhere. But over the time of watching all these movies and watching these interviews and just kind of, like, getting in his headspace as much as possible... I really like the guy, man. I think he's a pretty stand-up guy. Yeah, he's got some plagiarism going on in his past, and I really don't know what that was about. But all in all, he seems like a pretty down-to-earth dude, man. He seems like a good hang. Good times are not killing mm-hmm. us. Can I just like, say something real quick? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just a little quick uh, story. So when the first Spider-Man movie came out uh, that year on my SOL, I quoted, uh, with great power comes great responsibility. And the person who graded my paper said that was one Shia of LaBeouf? Was, no, they said it was one of the most <laughs> quotes that they ever heard and that they were truly blessed by grading my paper. Wow. Wow. And I, was, I stole that from Spider-Man. Dude, like, have you never seen <laughs> So is this, is this like a... Like some 50-year-old woman grading like 800 papers. It was an SOL. Dude, but that shit hit her hard. That shit hit her different because she didn't know Spider-Man. She's like, damn, with great power, it does come great yeah. responsibility. She's like, that's hard, K-Town. Yeah, because I, yeah. I plagiarized the fuck out of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So plagiarism's not killing us is what you're saying? <laughs> I mean, 12-year-old Kyle would say different. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so kind of going off of what you're saying about him seeming like a really down-to-earth guy, I got to say, like, Watching his interviews and really just seeing the character that he usually plays in his movies, because he's usually kind of the same type of person most of his movies, he really seems like the type of guy that, like, I would have gone to high school with. Like, I, I could see him in some of the people that I knew growing up that didn't really end up being my friends. Like, he seems the type of guy that I could have hung out with. Well, outside of the fact that he's, like, very famous or whatever, he seems very down-to-earth. He seems the type of guy who would have been, like uh, – in high school, like, would have hung out with some other kids that I didn't hang out with. He's not really my type of person, but he just seems so down-to-earth that I can just – it just feels like I know his type of person. I've met a lot of people like him. There's kind of, like, sincerely lost people who kind of have fuckboy tendencies. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And, and, and that's kind of, like, what it is. And I think, you know, the guy is in – he's, uh, he's, like, mid to – uh, early to mid-30s right now, he's kind of in that phase of his life where he's kind of, like, coming around to things. And like you said, I mean, he had the cameras on him during his, his entire 20s. I would fucking hate it if, the cam- if I had cameras on me during my fucking uh, early to mid to semi-late 20s. Dude, fuck the, no, the dude. fuckboy years? Yeah, no. Yeah, everyone would think that I'm just some fuckboy. Like, you wouldn't, you know, that's just the way it is for a lot of people. And I think that's really beautiful that overall he's kind of come around. He's he's showing people, like, Keaton, you said that, that by watching Honey Boy, knowing his story, has kind of inspired you to be introspective and kind of work through your traumas. And it's kind of had a similar effect to me where it's like, I've realized it is important to think about those things, not just kind of like bury them and think, oh, they don't really matter. I think Honey Boy was a crowning achievement of his career, um, but I'm really looking forward to what's going to happen after this. I haven't seen Peanut Butter Falcon, but I heard that that was a fantastic movie. Um, there's a lot of other war you can kind of get into in terms of how his co-star was reacting to all the drama going on in Child Boss Life that led to him writing Honey Boy, blah, blah, blah. 
Um, but yeah, I think it's a really fascinating story. I won't lie. Um, I I used to like him a lot when I was a kid. You know, like I said, I was excited for Holes. I was excited, I was excited for Transformers. And then for a long period of time, I did kind of think he was just some narcissistic, regular, privileged white actor guy who's just acting out. I was like, all right, this isn't a fucking child actor. But his uh, his resurrection, his kind of redemption arc, is something truly beautiful. And I'm really looking forward to the, the brand of film that uh, the brand of films that he continues to put out. I'll be definitely paying attention. I'm excited to see where he goes with the rest of his career. Same. So. Uh, so the good times are definitely not killing us with Shia LaBeouf. Town. Oh, you know Do- what time it is. You're doing the serpentine over there. I see. Oh, <laughs> you know shit. <laughs> All right, is Shia LaBeouf killing us? Mm. Is the booth I'm... killing us? Is the Pass. booth killing us? Pass now, the booth. Shia LaBeouf's not killing us, man. I can't judge somebody for their, for their, their deep past. I, let me take. Let me change that up. You can judge. You can judge somebody from their past, but you can't. You can't use their past against them if they've gone past it. You know what I mean? Shia LaBeouf has been a douchebag, Hollywood asshole, and has grown from it and become something more. Um, mm-hmm. He's doing more in his life. He's working with kids. He's helping special needs people. You know, star in movies. He's accepting that he has trauma and he's moving forward with it. I mean, who are we to judge him on anything other than that? Kings. Um, I fully, I mean, we are king, <laughs> but I fully re- believe in re- rehabilitation. You know, prison, someone goes to prison and if they pay their crimes and they learn from it and they change, they should be given the same opportunities that you and I have. Um, that's my wholehearted belief. Um, he didn't do anything, you know, as far as we know, he didn't rape any girls in China or any weird shit. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a rumor you're trying to start? <laughs> Dude, I, so yeah, know, uh, we, we usually use a Google Doc for our outline, and I put in like probably like five or six places just as a joke that he uh, was accused of raping uh, girls in China. Yeah, and when I saw this in the outline, I was like, wait, 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 wait what? Who, who put this note in here? I was like, shit, this changes up everything. Like, fuck his redemption so, arc. So there was like five just like little – he raped a girl in China peppered into the outline. That's why I said it. Yeah, but no, yeah. I mean, I was a douchebag at that age, man. I don't know how the fuck you guys are still friends with me. From 18 to, like, 25, <laughs> I was a piece of shit, dude. I was shitting yeah. in microwaves, lighting stuff on fire, putting my heads through wall. Like, I was an asshole, I've seen man. I've yeah, seen it seen all. It. You all yeah. seen it. Well, well I mean, we all grow and we change. And, I mean, that's who we got to be judged on as is who we are now and not who we were. Amen, So brother. I definitely don't think he's killing us. And... He's definitely helping me on a personal level. So, I mean, mm. good times are not killing us. Yeah, man. I, I got to well, say, sir. I mean, he really does. I mean, definitely, I mean, especially you and me, K-Town, or you and I, we, we've definitely been some kind of troublesome fellows in our youth. We've definitely been some wild boys. Bad boys. Um, who, if, if there were cameras on us, probably things would not have looked so good. And I, I got to say, I kind of feel a kindred heart with Shia LaBeouf. See, yeah, doing exactly. This, Doing this research, seeing his career, kind of seeing what I thought he had become, kind of uh, transformed into something truly beautiful, um, is has been inspirational to me. And uh, I think 
He's uh he's when we talk about kings, you know, we throw that term around a lot. But Shalva is a true king, uh, a true king among kings. If you're if you're like a an average fucking dude in America, I think I think well I think from anyone, but especially like if you're an average dude in America, if you watch Honey Boy, if you listen to his story, you're gonna find some kind of commonality with him, and you realize just how normal of a guy he is, and it, it's truly inspirational. Even girl, if so. you just not even just Honey Boy, even if you just listen to him in one of his like honest, candid interviews, I think you gotta feel him a little bit, dude. Like you know. Mm-hmm. It's pretty yeah, endearing. I, I will say our generation really did not luck out on the dad, the dad side. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's a big company. I don't think there's a, a, a male in America right now. There's probably like 10% of males in our age range that have positive dads growing up. Like, Dude, yeah, I don't dad know what happened, man. Yeah, just the way it is. All right, guys. So that is the end of our episode on Shiloh Buff, y'all. Second episode as Social Distance Daddies. Thank you so much for listening to us. We apologize for the audio difficulties, but, you know, we got to keep it moving, baby. Y'all know what's going on out here. We just got to do it like this for a while and, you know... Sorry, deal with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, make sure you guys uh, follow us on Facebook at the Good Times Are Killing Us podcast. Follow us on Instagram at Good Times Killing Us podcast, no spaces. And on the Twitter at Good underscore Times underscore Dead. Rate and review us on Apple iTunes and give us that five star rating. K Town, oh yeah. I have, I have tweeted recently. You got a tweet? So go, go read some tweets. This is my favorite part of every episode, K Town's tweet, by the way. This is my All beautiful right. The tweet. Part. I have like, I have actually have like, uh, I have two tweets this time. Just read one. Just read Ooh. one. Save that heat. Just read one. Don't All give right. them everything. Okay. Dude's really be 30 years old with a tongue ring and listening to Skillet unironically. <laughs> Who? <laughs> Who? So, Which dudes? <laughs> Who's doing this? Dude, dude, talking about like a Jeff Lowe from fucking. This is like a Jeff Lowe from Tiger King type of dude. Guy Jeff Lowe like irritated me to the core of my being. I really could not stand Jeff Lowe of all the things in that documentary. Jeff Lowe really dude. just got under my skin. <laughs> another uh, another person who like I know that guy like we like I've known many Jeff Lowe's or I've at least encountered many Jeff Lowe's in my time and Jesus fucking like Christ, your friend's man, a, dad who wears like affliction and like backwards caps <laughs> yeah backwards Oakley hats and shit yeah. alright guys every every white dude I worked with at the shipyard right <laughs> was a Jeff Lowe type yeah. yes so thank you guys so much for listening and you know stay safe out there guys I mean we're a big reason we're putting on this podcast right now, I think, is because um, it's really good to stay connected. It, you know, right now, when you're isolated from all your friends and family, it's good to have maybe a couple dudes you listen to every few weeks that kind of remind you where you're at in life, what's going on, and we're keeping things normal, but not too normal. You know, don't panic, guys. Don't panic about this whole situation. I know we're getting real deep. By the time this episode comes out, we'll be in, what, week uh, five uh, in the United States of, like, full-blown pandemic mode. Um, so thank you all so much for listening during this. I hope that you're doing well at home. Uh, this we too shall do. pass. This too shall pass. Yes. A, a darker, um, you know, the new day will shine all the brightest after this period of time. You know, you said this too shall pass, but I feel like that's a Lord of the Rings quote. And I, I was going like to say, is that too. Lord of the Rings? I don't know. <laughs> like, I, don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. No, that's right, you guys. shall not pass. I don't even know these movies. And I know that's. That's yeah, the, you shall not pass is is Gandalf, but there is uh, 
This Too Shall Pass is also from something. I think... I don't know. Anyway. anyway. All right, guys. So, <laughs> it's your boys. The Good Times at Conus Podcast. As always, it's your boy, David. K-Town. And Marquise. <laughs> and thank you so much for listening. And as always, the good times are fucking killing us. We are dead. your dreams be dreams yesterday you said tomorrow so just do it make your dreams come true just do it some people dream of success while you're gonna wake up and work hard at it nothing is impossible you should get to the point where anyone else would quit and you're not gonna stop there no what are you waiting for Do it! Just do it! Yes, you can! Just do it! If you're tired of starting over, stop giving up.